You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kitzel here. Uh, Marcus Parks is busy writing away, doing his job. Today's episode, it's very special to me. It's July 4th, and I had a chance to interview Mark Marrow, the wild man, Mark Marrow, of course, of WWE fame. He's now a motivational speaker, and I just think the interview was absolutely powerful and totally wonderful. So please give it a listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel. Yeah. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Welcome to Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. I am Ben Kissel. Uh, joining me today on this July 4th holiday, I am honored to be with an American legend, the wild man, the marvelous Mark Marrow. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Oh, what an introduction. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Yeah, dude. So you are obviously a former, you, you fought in four go, uh, Golden Gloves tournaments. Uh, and then, of course, you went into professional wrestling for a great 16-year career. You won the television championship. You beat Farouk for the Intercontinental Championship, which was no easy feat. A little help from Sonny, if I remember correctly. And now you are a motivational speaker. And I watched uh, a YouTube video of you speaking at Somerset High School, and it was just so powerful and wonderful. And I'm just so happy to have you here right now to talk about all of these things uh, because I think we are in a time where more than ever people need hope and I feel like you are someone who is actively trying to provide that for them I am Ben you know that there's I always said there's two types of people there's people who say something needs to be done and then there's a person who says I want to go out there and do something and, right. and I admit I, I'm, I'm guilty I was the guy that was always saying why don't they do this about this or do this about that and I realized that we all have a story we all been through stuff in life that can help somebody else so I decided to start sharing my story at schools. And um, it, it was not easy at first. I mean, it's, right. it's number one, it's hard to get into schools. Yeah. And of course, to inspire middle high school and college age students isn't the easiest thing in the world to do. In fact, it's some of the toughest audiences that anybody could ever be in front of. Right, right. But you know, I, I found an amazing way to connect by just being real, by just sharing authentic stories of what I went through in my emotional roller coaster where my good choices took me, but I'm very honest where my bad choices took me. And a lot of kids can relate to my story and especially maybe the way they treat other people, the way yeah. they, uh, we all have dreams and goals in life. And um, I shared with them since I was a little boy about the dreams and goals that I had that eventually became a reality in my life. And I share with them how I got there, but also even when you get there, 
it's about it's about the choices we make in our life. We are defined by those choices. Right. So after you are you're fighting for the Golden Gloves, I watched some YouTube footage of that as well. Uh, I'm not going to anger you. That's all I'm going to say. I want to <laughs> stay on your good side. Uh, of course, then you went into uh, professional wrestling, and I believe your first character was Johnny B. Bad. Is that correct? I was a bad man. With that character, how was that transition going from boxing where you really do, uh, I don't know, professional wrestling, we don't have to look any further than RIP Mr. Leon White Vader when it comes to how real the punches are in professional wrestling as well in many ways. But when it comes to boxing, you're in there knocking people out in the ring. How was that transition going from or, uh, amateur boxing, uh, very high level, to professional wrestling? Well, you know, it's amazing because wrestling, wrestling um, I didn't even have I didn't I didn't sign my first contract till I was 31 years old. Really, I, I started when I was 30, and it was it was really strange because I had a bunch of friends over at my apartment, and one of my buddies had the remote control for the television. And he was flipping through the TV channels, and he landed on professional wrestling. And I remember as we were we were looking at the characters and stuff, and we we're kind of making jokes and stuff. And yeah. I remember saying to my friends, "I go, hey guys, I can do that." And they just busted out laughing. <laughs> it encouraged me more. And I found out um, there was a wrestling school not far from me, about uh, an hour drive. I was living in Venice, Florida at that time. Okay. And in Tampa, Florida, there was the Malenko Pro Wrestling School. Dean and Joe Malenko's dad, Boris Malenko, okay. went to school out there. So I started driving there after work on weekends. And it was only a year later, at 31 years old, I signed my first contract with WCW. That is incredible to get in. It's, it is a young man's game, uh, professional wrestling. And so for you to do it at 30 and then going through that training, I don't think that people fully understand. Again, I, as I said before the interview, I trained for six months above a bowling alley in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and it was the most painful six months of my life. So I can't even imagine. And that was being trained from someone who was a chain smoker and he drank a lot. He was also the champion of the uh, of the um, of the company that he owned. So it was no, no coincidence. But you were trained by Dean Malenko's father. Dean Malenko, this dude is stone cold. That must have been brutal, that whole year experience. What what motivated you to stick with it? Well, you know, um, I, first of all, Boris Malenko was a great trainer. He really taught us a lot. We learned. I learned so much so quickly. And um, when I started going to WCW uh, as one of the enhancement guys that got beat up on television for like 150 bucks, you know, <laughs> And so I would drive. I would drive from uh, Venice, Florida, to Atlanta, Georgia. I think it was like about eight or nine hour drive. Get beat up for 150 bucks and drive home. You wow. know, and it was only a, a couple times that I went when Dusty Rhodes, who was the booker at the time, mm. watching the monitor, and he saw my match. And after the match, he called me into his office and he said, "Kid, I think I got a gimmick for you." And that's how he saw the little Richard character or the Johnny B. Bad character that I would eventually do. Right. I'll never, he said to me, he goes, hey, he goes, hey, kid, anybody ever tell you you look like little Richard? And I, I didn't know <laughs> about another wrestler. I said, who's little Richard? And he goes, you know, wop up a loop a wop boo And I said, no, I never heard that before. And he goes, oh, I think I got a character for you, a gimmick, you know? And that's how Johnny B. Bad was born. Wow, from the mouth of Dusty Rhodes. I can I can just see him uttering that sentence as well. That seems like such a Dusty Rhodes creation. Uh, and yeah. you are much you are much more handsome than Little Richard. So <laughs> he was out of line uh, to even go there. So you were Johnny B. Bad, WCW. Uh, at this point, you were kind of just uh, basically getting your ass kicked in the ring to uh, pay your dues. Is that right? 
right, basically. Exactly. You know, hoping hoping you're you're going to get noticed, hoping that you're going to impress somebody. You know, and I had a, I had a good physique, I was in good shape, yeah. um, and I was really hoping that I, I can make a mark. Um, I, I didn't never thought it would be as they thought I looked like somebody else. You know, right. but. But whatever it took, it took, you know? So how did you transition? Uh, because your real name is Mark Marrow, which is rare for a professional wrestler to, to use their real name. How did you transition from uh, Johnny B. Bad to the man that you are, obviously an extension of that, an exaggerated version of that, a professional wrestling version of who Mark Marrow is? But what was that process like? And can you tell me a little bit just about that emotional ride as you have a – your career was 1990 to 16, I believe, right? It was a, it was a 16-year career. Or until 2006, is that right? 1990 to 06. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 2006 was my last my last wrestling match. Right. So what was that? What was that transition process like when you went from Johnny B. Bad, you got to drop it, and you got to be Mark Marrow? Um, well, you know, I it, it was really strange because when I went to uh, WW when I left WCW, which they owned the character Johnny B. Bad, oh. and uh, Vince gave me a great contract with with WWE or WWF at that time. Right. Um, you know, we, we didn't know what character we were going to use. They had creative trying to come up with all these different ideas. And so when I went to the first meeting about what they were going to, you know, call me, what was going to be my name, um, you know, they threw things out there and it was, uh, this wild man, Mark Merrill, my, my real name. Right. And, um, you know, it, it was really hard because it was like, what is a wild man? Am I am I from the jungle? Am I like Tarzan? Right. What you know? And Johnny B. Dad was so opposite me. So it was a fun, easy character to play because you're basically just going out there and doing doing just acting, you know, this this crazy um, you know, flamboyant character. Right. Which was actually a lot of fun, you know, and plus Dusty worked with me so much on it. So spending time with Dusty on on the character and the, the verbiage and stuff was right. something I'll never forget. And he was such a great mentor and friend and one of the, the greatest guys I, I've ever met in the business. Well, you know, I want to talk to you again. We can stay in the context of professional wrestling, but I want to talk to you just about um, what it took to get the confidence to do some of the things that you did in the ring. And I want to know, because again, I went back and I, I listened to that speech you gave to the to the students. You're so in uh, in touch with yourself emotionally. I think obviously you have the, the benefit of hindsight at a, a couple of years behind you so you can kind of understand what mistakes you made. What was your mindset there during that time uh early 90s you're you're switching over mark marrow 95 96 you're working on things like the marrow salt which is unbelievable how did you get the confidence to go from a boxer to a high flyer with a character like wild man what was that process like for you and did you have a lot of self-doubt um you know I, I think everybody you know second guesses things that we do or we try you know but sometimes we just have the guts to go after it you know i was always a really good athlete i was a all-star in, in hockey and in football um and of course boxing and and and, and so I, I was always a really good athlete but yeah. one of the things people don't realize is that i was also pretty good on the diving board oh so, so when i when i did the uh the marrow salt uh it was nothing more than doing something that i, I used to do off of a diving board now, it's, it's a little different doing it on ropes, and especially because guys wear so much oil on their bodies in dirt. After <laughs> that, the ropes get really slippery. Right. So, stand on those ropes, you have to really make sure you got your footing 
and to, to jump up and turn around and land and then cut a, a moonsault or do a, a full gainer or uh, off the top rope into opening up into a splash, it, it, it does take some some guts, but also some some knowledge of what diving is. So you were kind of just able to to jump right in and uh, and sort of go back to those old experiences, kind of uh, conjure those up and uh, and do those things with confidence, basically immediately. Well, you know, it's funny because um, I've never done the, the first time I ever did the wild thing, which is 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 a shooting star press, yeah, on the top rope. It was SummerSlam. Now remember, pay per view. I'm wrestling Goldust. Wow. So, before the before the, the the match, I said to him, I go, hey, I got this new move I want to try. He goes, and he goes, well, what is it? I go, well, I'm gonna Samoan slam you in the corner, and I'm gonna go to the top rope, and I'm gonna do this this reverse flip off the top. And he goes and land on me. I said, yeah. <laughs> no. And he goes, I guess so. He, he was like, go for it, man. Right. Gold, to this day, I, I love that guy, man. He is. Just an amazing human being, and even now, even more so now, with all the 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 oh my gosh, the the uh, motivation and inspiration he gives to other people is incredible. But anyways, to get back to the story, so I've never done it before, other than doing it on a diving board. And the funny thing was is that my daughter at the time was in gymnastics, okay. so I, I took her to a gymnast or to a gymnastic class, and I would get on the pommel horse and cut a flip and land on my my hands and my knees on the on the mat. Well, the kids would be cracking up at me because they think I can't land, you know, when you, in gymnastics, you always land on your feet. Right, right. So I got I got 25 kids laughing their heads off at me because I keep landing on my stomach, which to me, I'm going, yes, you know? <laughs> and, and so make a long story short, uh, so now here we are at SummerSlam. I Samoan slam, slam in the corner, I go to the top rope, and when I got to the top rope, I'm thinking, what did I just do? <laughs> I'm up here now. I got to do this thing, you know? And I remember just throwing myself backwards and opening up and landing. Um, it wasn't perfect, but it was it was pretty close to nailing it, you know? Right. And, uh, I didn't hurt Dustin at all. And, of course, we would finish the match and everything. So it was uh, – it was the first time I ever did it, but I always give Dustin the credit for being the first one to say, "Go for it." That's great. And if, so it seemed, and of course, uh, uh, Gold Dust is Dusty Rhodes' uh, son, so that's yeah. good. You, it's <laughs> good that you didn't hurt the the uh, the son of the man who really helped you out in your career, I suppose. The guy, the guy who gave me my break. You're right. That's great. So when you were in the WWE, uh, you were obviously there. As let's just go like to the Attitude Era. I, I know that you're a, re- a religious man at this point in your life. I'm not sure if you were uh, back then during the Attitude Era. This was a very. I mean, I was 15 to to uh, 18 years old. You know, watching it during that time. So I loved every waking second of it um, because it was it was very body. It was gaudy. It was. Uh, Braggadocious. I mean, it was it was pretty extreme stuff trying to beat WCW. Uh, you had a very interesting storyline going on uh, with Sable, who I know um, was a previous wife of yours, and I'm, I, I I know you guys are still friends. Um, was there anything that uh, that you uh, that stands out to you during that era that you are just like really really proud of? Um, you know what? I, I guess if I could say that I was proud of anything was that. And, and this is kind of hard to, to even explain this because I don't know how many people would really understand was that I was so proud of my wife at that time who never wrestled before, never was in front of people like that before, who became a a, a, a star, you yeah. know, 
because then we traveled together and and part of my contract was that she got to go everywhere I went before she even signed a sable. That was part of my contract. Okay. I, I just didn't want to go through a divorce. I didn't want to end up um, losing my wife like many marriages in the wrestling industry happened at that time, you know? Right. So um, now, of course, <laughs> hindsight, looking back, <laughs> we got divorced anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good but to it, prolong it a little bit. I got to tell you, and, and so I would let, I would be kind of the fall guy. I mean, she sable bombed me and she beat me up. And, right. and a lot of people would say, well, you ruined your career. Um, but you know what? When you're, when you're in love and they're built, they're backing up the Brinks truck to your house. <laughs> I mean, you were making great money and you realize right. you're going to be with this person forever. Who cares who's getting beat or win, lose or whatever, as right. long as we're in this together, you know, and, and it was getting her over. Yeah, I mean, she was she was extremely over. That's interesting. You know, you guys were married in real life, and uh, this happens. It seems to happen on a more regular basis than people understand. Mick Foley touches it uh, touches on that uh, in his book, "Have a Nice Day." Uh, can you talk about just the real emotions, the real life situations that coincide with a professional wrestler's persona, with their life, how it actually intertwines? Um, it's not just some fake, uh, once you're out of the ring, everything is, you know, back to normal. Can you talk about that? Did you ever find yourself uh, maybe buying into the Mark Marrow in-ring character and maybe losing the Mark Marrow uh, that was sitting on the couch at 30 being like, yo, I can do that? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you that I totally lost who I was as a person. I, at that time, there was a time in my life that um, I got heavy into drugs I really got off the drugs and really gave my life to Christ and started going to church and really changed my life. And then we went to the WWE, um, my, my wife, Rena, Sable, and I lost myself, you know, and I, I don't want to say nothing about, I never said a bad word about her, but I, I, I'm just gonna talk about me. I lost myself, you know, yeah. who I was as a person, bought into doing whatever it took to, to make money and, um, you know, lived a life that I, I, I wasn't very proud of. When I look back now, it's not something I go, oh, I'm so proud of all these things I did or uh, we, we were involved in. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, you know, here, here's the thing in my life is that all the paths I took ended up to where I'm at right now. Right. And I guess, you know, I, I, I regret some of those things I did, but in a sense, I'm so blessed to, that I found those right paths. I yeah. mean, I'm living a life that I'm so proud of now. Right. But unfortunately, you know, we, we, we go through things in life and we yeah. don't always make the best choices. Well, can we go back and talk a little bit about uh, the drug issues? Because it's just such an important, we have, we have an opioid epidemic happening right now in this country. Uh, 60,000 folks a year die from an opioid overdose. Heroin is skyrocketing. A lot of people are dying uh, with fentanyl and obviously cocaine hasn't gone anywhere since the 70s. What was that? Uh, can you do uh, just discuss a little bit about what drugs you were using and then how did you uh, emotionally, how were you able to, to stop doing them? Because, you know, I've been drinking beer since I was 12 years old. I have no idea when I would ever, uh, you know, stop drinking my beers. You know, you, you get sort of a um, reliant on these substances. What was that process like? Because to me, that's one of the most difficult things that a person can do. Could you help our audience, maybe someone who is suffering um, uh, with with addiction right now, and just try to help them by telling your story? Sure. You know, I, I got to tell you that um, 
doing drugs for as long as I did drugs. Um, and, and when my drug use was when I first started into wrestling, it got very heavy. In fact, I actually missed wrestling matches where right. I didn't even show up. And I'll never forget this. Uh, my, my drug of choice at that time was cocaine and drinking a lot and, and, and pain medication and, mm-hmm. and everything else. And um, I wasn't married at that time, so I was living a crazy, crazy life, bars all night long. And and so what happened was I missed a couple of shots and Dusty, who gave me this great opportunity in life, I mean, just took this kid who was making, I think I was making like $23,000 a year digging swimming pools, you know, into this big contract. And he called me into his office. I'll never forget this. He said, kid, I made you and I can break you. Meaning that if I did it again, I was done. Right. So now I'm fighting the addiction of wanting to do drugs, but not wanting to lose my job. Right. You know? So it was one of the hardest things I ever went through. And and I really credit um, meeting me, meeting Rena Sable and getting married of getting off and then giving my life to Christ and making a lot of better decisions in my life right. at that time. You know, but then, of course, falling back off the wagon and, and doing all kinds of crazy things again. You right. know, so it's it a- was it, it, the thing I, I think that I'm so blessed to be able to do. I've been clean for for um, uh, 15 years now. Wow. And I help so many people that have addiction, but also have gone off the wagon and gone back, you know, and I'm able to help them, you know. Well, how do you deal with that? Once you make the mistake one time, you say, I'm never going back. You do it again. You say, I'm never going back. And then you do it again. What is that? Um, what's that process of, of guilt like? And of like, you just feel like you let everybody down. Uh, but in reality, what, what was your, what was other people's reactions to you after you fell off the ra- wagon and saying, I need to get clean again, did you find them to be supportive? Because I feel like a lot of people are just scared that everyone is going to be done with them. They just want to throw them away. Um, but what was your experience when it comes to the recovery phase? Were people helpful or was that something you had to do 100% on your own? Well, you know, I got I to gotta tell you the truth is that for me, it was my faith in God that really helped me. But I got to tell you, there were some really supportive people in my life. Um, you know, some family members that never gave up on me. I, I had a mother that, man, I, I became the man she always knew I would be, even though she she didn't get to see maybe at that time because she passed on. Right. But her prayers and her knowing that, that that's not my son. I know who my son is, you know, and I finally became that man. But um, it, it's um, it was a really difficult situation because I got to tell you, Ben, the, the hardest person to forgive often is ourselves. Right. And letting yourself down and doing it to yourself over and over, you just get to the point where you don't care. And I mean, I got to the point where not only did I not care, I became suicidal. I didn't want to be here anymore. I wanted to die, you know. But looking back on on that, even when I say that now, it's really strange because it's not that I wanted to die. It was more about wanting the pain to go away. Right. And sometimes we're in so much pain that we just look at suicide as, as ending that pain. And that's the only way out of that pain. But but when I re- meet with people that are suicide, especially students, these young kids that are killing themselves today, you right. know, I can really share from my heart of what I went through, how I went right to the edge and and how I got out of that. But now how I'm able to help other people and the gift that they have 
they're going to help other people too. Right. Let's go back. Let's talk about your motivational speaking, and then I want to end the interview with talking a little bit more about wrestling, like favorite matches, worst injuries, something like that. But let's let's focus here on the kids because what you do right now is so unbelievably important. Going into high schools, first of all, uh, what was that experience like? Because honest, I've been on the subways here in New York City. High school kids are still horrifying, just as horrifying as they were when I was in high school and I was locked in with them on a daily basis for eight hours. What was that like the first time you went into a high school? You said, I'm going to inspire these kids. And if they were anything like me when I was 16, they don't particularly care what an old fella has to say coming into their school. You know, they don't really care what any of us have to say. Uh, at least I certainly didn't when a motivational speaker would come and talk to my school. Of course, they weren't as cool as a professional wrestler such as yourself. But what was that experience like walking through there and going in front of the, all those kids? Was it um, as difficult as it was performing gymnastics in front of uh, a bunch of uh, middle school or uh, younger people? You know, I, I got to tell you that it's really funny because this is my 12th year speaking at schools, thousands of schools now all over the world, even in Russia. I went to schools in Russia, you wow. know, and I remember when I first started and I walked out to in front of it was like 60 kids. And I was a nervous wreck too, you know? Yeah. And I, I'll just, I'll never forget that, um, how hard that was and thinking to myself, then I started questioning myself because as the crowds got bigger, I was getting more and more nervous. Yeah. And I walked up there and kids would be talking. They didn't want to be in, in an assembly, you know? But I, I gotta say, there was a changing thing that happened um, that was amazing. I always said that, you know, if I could inspire one person, it's worth it. And my, my wife, Darlene said to me, we were at, we had a presentation about a thousand kids, and the kids were they didn't want to hear nothing. Right. They would just be so rude and obnoxious. And I remember <laughs> I started sweating. You know, I was like just wanting. I'm thinking while I was on stage, I'm thinking I never want to do this again. <laughs> like yeah. this is it. You know. And the the thing ends, and the kids are filing out, and here comes my wife running up the aisle, and she goes, "Honey, that was great." And I'm thinking to myself. Oh my gosh, I inspired my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, Ben Kissel here for Filter Easy. Remembering to change our air filters isn't exactly number one on our to-do list, but Filter Easy makes it a breeze to outsmart your chore list. Filter Easy sent us here at LPN some of their fantastic air filters, and we love them. We live and work in a big city, and we all know pollution isn't the best thing to be breathing into our lungs all day. Filter Easy makes it a breeze for us to remember to change our air filters and keep the studio breathing easy. With Filter Easy, you don't have to remember to change your AC filters because they do the remembering for you. When it's time to change them, they'll be at your doorstep. Air filters are important. Poor indoor air quality is a considerable health risk. The Environmental Protection Agency ranks poor indoor air quality as one of the top five environmental health risks. In fact, indoor air can be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. Clinical studies demonstrate that air filters sufficiently reduce particulate matter and allergens, resulting in reduced respiratory and cardiovascular symptoms and even preventing disease progression. For something so important for your health, most homeowners and renters don't usually know how often to change their air filters. It's recommended you change your home air filters every one to three months, but if you have a pet, you should probably change them every month. Signing up couldn't be easier. All you gotta tell Filter Easy is how many filters your home needs and your filter sizes. Sign up takes less than five minutes on your computer or mobile device. 
Filter Easy is a convenient subscription service for something you need versus most other subscription boxes. It's super practical and a no-brainer solution. That's why I subscribe to Filter Easy. And for listeners of this program, you can receive your first order free by visiting filtereasy.com or by calling 1-855-910-EASY. That's 1-855-910-3279. Make sure you use offer code TOPHAT. Sign up today at filtereasy.com to get your first order free. That's filtereasy.com or call 1-855-910-EASY. Make sure you use offer code TOPHAT. But then it was weird because we went, we went home and we said, we started discussing what I could do different in my presentation. Yeah. And she said, why don't you just share your story? Why don't you share from your heart? And so I went and I started getting pictures from my past and mm-hmm. and my picture of my mom that I lost, my brother, my sister, my father, people that I, I lost in my life. And I, wanted, I put together these stories. And so after that, I started just sharing these stories from my heart. Mm. And son, I started getting letters from students. You changed my life. You right. saved my life. A standing ovation at one school, another standing ovation at another school. Mm. And it just snowballed. Then, then my video went viral. Mm-hmm. Millions and millions of people seen it. And it's so funny now because, you know, these kids weren't even born when I wrestled, but I walk out in front of kids now, they're like, oh my God, that's the guy on the YouTube or, or you know, Facebook right. or whatever. You know? and the kids all know me before I even get there. Yeah. And it's like, I have the best time now. I've, I've never connected better with students, but what we're seeing today, it's a different world, Ben. I mean, right. when, when we're talking about the kids today that... Like when I was in school, I didn't even know anybody on medication, you know, right. I, more cutting themselves or mm-hmm. wanting to kill themselves, you know. So it, it's a different world today. So understanding that because I get so many letters from the kids, I got my finger on the pulse of what's really going on in these schools today. Right. And now with the school shootings and mm-hmm. everything else that we're dealing with, you know, the anxiety and the depression that students are going mm-hmm. through, man, I connect with them, man. I get kids that have changed their life. And because I've been doing it so long now, I now get the letters from the students that have started their own business, that got a record deal, that are doing all these incredible things. From that day, I came to their school. Yeah, that's what I'm uh, interested to hear a little bit more about as well. You've been doing that, I believe you said, for 14 years now, going into schools. Obviously, a lot has changed in those 14 years. Columbine, unfortunately, was not an isolated one-time incident. What are some of the main I guess, uh, stresses that you're see- seeing on a regular basis now from kids, are are they just full of rage? Are, I mean, we're living in this era of um, social media that is just, we, we went from like knowing our neighbor to knowing like, uh, you know, a small group of people in our community to knowing the globe in a matter of like 30 years. Um, what are some of the stresses that are going on in kids' lives right now? And how can we better understand what they're going through to try to curb all of this really unfortunate depression and thoughts of suicide and of course actions of suicide well you know ben when we were in school you know we kind of knew who the school bully was you know you gotta stay away from that guy or girl or whatever and today bullying doesn't just just happen at school it's it could be 24 7 through social media right and it's relentless on kids and the anxiety that kids have the depression that kids are going through because of this um, and then, of course, the, the self-harm, 
which is just phenomenal what kids are doing to themselves and then the suicidal thoughts and the kids that have killed themselves. I, I meet the parents that have lost their kids mm. to suicide. And I mean, I, I go to, I went to two schools this year. One had six suicides, one had seven suicides. Oh my God. School that has that many kids killing themselves. You have to really start addressing what is going on in this world. You see, there's a mental health issue that people aren't really talking about enough. Mm. You know, we have school counselors, and they might be great at telling you what college is a good college to go to, helping you out with something you're going through, maybe at home, but they're not mental health specialists. Right. And and, and the other thing is, is that I'm seeing so many kids on medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't kids that need medication, right. but if I was a parent, I would not, I would get a second or third opinion on anything I ever put my kid on yeah. because I see kids either bouncing off the wall or they're lethargic or falling asleep in class because of the medication that they're on. Right. So my finger on the pulse of what's going on with these students and, and communication is the most important thing. We've got to talk about the elephant in the room. We got to, you know, I go to schools that go, oh, don't mention anything about suicide. Are you kidding me? These kids are smarter than you could ever give them credit for. Right. They want to talk about it. They want someone that they could say, hey, this is how I felt. This is what I went through. This is what you can do to get help. Right. I mean, don't talk about suicide. That is the, one of the more infuriating things that I have heard uh, for someone to recommend you not do. It's like th- that whole just artifice. Put the smile on it. I'm from Wisconsin. It's very Midwest. It's very uh, German where you just smile. Don't don't express your pain. And then long story short, you end up uh, with a, a, a situation where a child commits suicide and everyone says they were happy the whole time. I What a surprise. What a shock. Are you surprised right now? Uh, with the level of depression. But I I also want to ask, what do you think about, uh, because I know you have a unique insight with the schools, standardized testing, common core, um, just the way that our educational system is set up. Do you think that that's also a reason why these kids, they need to be, I was on Ritalin and all these disgusting things because I couldn't sit there and fill out bubble sheets all day. You know, that is a great question. And I got to tell you, man, I am surprised it hasn't been revitalized yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I gotta, I, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember the last time I had to use algebra at the bank. Right. Trigonometry. <laughs> I, I, I mean, why do we spend so much time learning things we will never, ever, ever use? Right. I, I don't get that, you know. And the other thing I don't understand is, like, um, kids aren't even taught how to write anymore, you know. Right. Um, do we not sign checks anymore? Do we, where's the change happening there? Is it just becoming, you know, it's like when you, when you sign your, your credit card at, at like a, a grocery store, you write on something that it just looks like a squiggly line. Right. I, I never, I don't understand this anymore, you know, but we've, we've got to look at what we're teaching our kids. And some kids are, are more gifted at learning a different way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, we're, we're, we're the standardized testing, you know, that they just, you know, most kids, are, they fill out the blanks and write a few things down and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that really gives people the, the awareness of what talent a kid really has. Yeah. Some kids are artistic. Some kids are, are um, uh, gifted in other areas that we don't see or we don't understand that they're not going to be good at a college. They're going to be good at another avenue in life. 
Right. What is their assessment of what's happening right now politically? And this is more of a, is a political show, but we don't have to do a deep dive politically. But uh, when it comes to kids, we're living in this time where we have a, a, a juvenile words being said by adults on a regular basis, dumb uh, little uh, nicknames being given to senators and whatnot on every single level. Everyone, these adults are fighting like kindergartners. What is the perception of the high school kids that you've spoken to about this new reality because they don't remember what I would consider a more normal time where there was a little civility there was a concept of reaching across the political aisle uh, do they think that this is normal or do they feel like something's askew and something is off when they hear so-called adults acting like children when you grow up in this environment you only know this environment Right. And the sad part is, how do you go into a school and say, treat each other with respect, you know, be kind to each other. And we have the leaders of our country or leaders of America calling each other names, yeah. you know, threat each other. Um, it's like, look at the shows we watch on TV. Kids uh, watch the, the Housewives of Orange County or something. And, right. and it's adults acting like fools, fighting with each other, hitting each other, you know? Yeah. So when we grow up in this environment, we think that's a normal thing to do, to throw something or swear at someone or call them a name. Or, and, and look at the popular uh, YouTubers. Uh, some of them act like fools. and They're some of the most popular people out there. Right. It's almost like the more disgusting you can get or the more vile you can get, the more popular you are. Right. And when it, I mean, going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with like the attitude era and those kinds of things, um, do you ever feel like, I, I don't think, I mean, I love the attitude era. It's my personal favorite time. Um, but it, was there ever a moment where you said, well, perhaps I influenced a child wrongfully and now this is sort of you saying, hey, I need to fix fix anything that I may have done wrong. I, I watched the interview with Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin uh, last night for his uh, for his podcast, and Shawn Michaels was like, I've apologized to some parents of kids uh, because of some of the things that D-Generation X did. Have you ever felt anything like that as far as some of the antics from the Attitude Era? You know, that's a, that is a great question, probably the best one you, 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 you've asked. And yes, absolutely, and, and, and for me, it was my relationship with God is not only did I, I let down myself, I let down a lot of people. And a lot of people say, oh, man, it was just a cool time. It was this and that, you know. But you have no idea the detrimental effect you had on someone else's life that maybe um, they didn't realize until later on or never really realized because it's, it's more of a, uh, inner inner thing that's happening in them. But for myself, I really felt that um, I made some horrible mistakes I made some terrible choices and decisions, not only affected my life and, of course, a divorce and everything else yeah. I went through, but um, I think, you know, it also hurt a lot of other people. Is it and okay for, if I ask what was like what was a mistake? Not the biggest mistake or anything like that, but just because we all we always hear like I made mistakes and God knows I have made many mistakes uh, to fall into the same trap. But then a lot of people can't digest like what does that mean to my life? I'm sure it wasn't as bad as the mistake that I made, so I'm still a loser. Was there a mistake that that stands out to you? That is uh, that's something that you could share and say, hey, I got over this, I forgave myself for this, and you can too. Oh man, you know I think. Mine was a more of a personal thing because being a married man and allowing my wife to uh, be in Playboy, to um, you know, show up naked every every week on television, you know, and I'm not please don't take nothing away from 
Yeah. For Marina. I'm not, not doubt, I'm, I'm blaming myself. Okay. Right. I'm not trying to bash her at all. Right. I completely take full responsibility myself on allowing and um, being a part of something that um, I could never, ever imagine doing again or going yeah. through something like that. Or, or, or just, I can't even imagine my precious wife or thinking of allowing her to do something that'd be so detrimental. Yeah. And um, I don't know, just, just not part of my life now. That's powerful. You know, I, so what do you, yeah. before we get back to just a couple of the, thank you so much, by the way, for, for taking time on July 4th to, to talk to me. I really appreciate it. What do you tell the kids? What's your, uh, what's the motivation? What's the advice that you want them to walk away with when they leave the auditorium? What do you want them to feel as they exit those doors? Well, first of all, I want them to, to realize that they matter and that, that they are, they're loved and they have to value themselves because so many kids, they, they feel like they don't matter, they don't value yeah. themselves, they don't even like themselves. And I, I want them to love themselves. I want you, you, you see, you can't give away what you don't have. And you have to love yourself before you can love others and treat others with respect and kindness. Mm-hmm. But it starts with yourself. Uh, I, I, I want kids to walk away to dream big, to believe that they can accomplish these amazing things that they wanna do in their life, to yeah. set goals and, 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 and take action towards those goals and dreams. Yeah. But, you know, but most important is that I, I want them to treat other people with respect the way that they want to be treated. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Number one for, uh, for all of, for entertaining me, uh, throughout my, uh, throughout the years, I've always loved watching you and thank you so much for, for helping kids right now where I just really believe they need it more than ever. And I don't even understand how they're existing, uh, in this world, as you said, with the 24 seven bullying, uh, on their phones, constantly being told that they're worthless. And I get it, man, that, that level of depression is something that I couldn't even uh, imagine living through. Cause I was so insecure and in, uh, suicidal myself in high school. And I can't even imagine what they have to go through now. Um, but going back just quickly here to professional wrestling, uh, back in the day, you had a great feud slash tag team relationship with my man, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, uh, who I had a chance to interview a couple of months ago. Could not be nicer. I mean, you guys are just, I'm, I've interviewed Sean Waltman, X-Pac as well. I just love you guys so much because you're so important to me. Um, but what was, who was one of your favorite in-ring competitors or favorite in-ring, uh, tag team partners? Who did you like to work with the most? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I wrestled um, Mick as Cactus Jack, <laughs> as Mick Foley, as Dude Love, as Mankind. So I wrestled <laughs> in four different characters, you know. <laughs> you know, there's a couple ones I really had really good matches with, you know, and to just name a few off the top of my head, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, King of the Ring was it was a great match. Yes, you broke him open. Yeah, yes. Oh my gosh, and uh, gosh, I really kicked him hard too. Uh, totally accidentally, of course. You yeah. know, we we did that move uh, many many times before, and we did it so safely, and it just at that time it caught him in the mouth. Um, uh, Flying Brian, Brian oh, Pillman. Man. Uh, I think it was uh, I think it was War Games or one of those that we had a, a, a tremendous thirty minute match. Um, Diamond Dallas Page. Oh my gosh, I, I felt like I was back in the ring when I was boxing. <laughs> we yeah. used to kill each other, but we. I love wrestling him. He was just he. He was. He's still one of my closest friends yeah. to this day. 
And uh, we used to just really put a lot of effort into our matches. We, they often give us the opening match on a pay-per-view, and we say we are going to steal the yep. show, man. Oh, I remember, yeah. man. And, 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 and DDP, who was another guy who kind of came in a little bit later on, I think he was like 35 when he started, wasn't he? Was, he was, man. He oh, came my in God. five years old and accomplished so much. And still to this day, oh. one of the most inspirational guys I know. Yeah. And I was, just, I was just at his house uh, two weeks ago, spent a few days with him and did a DDP yoga. Nice. And he has a cryogen chamber and a hyperbaric <laughs> chamber. He's got a man. No, I mean, talking about saving lives between you and DDP, you guys are doing a heck of a job because I was uh, I just saw an interview with Mick as well. He's down 50, 50 pounds because of DDP yoga. Obviously, what DDP was able to do with Razor and, and Jake the Snake, man, it, it, there seems like it's a new generation of retired wrestlers, and I'm just so happy to have you all around. It seems like it's no longer the um, the Mickey Rourke version of the retired wrestler. Uh, it seems like you guys are really taking control, taking ownership, and using the power that you were able to um, to create after you cultivated these characters. It seems like it's a great time to be a former professional wrestler. You know, there's there's no greater joy than helping another person. And I think most of us realize that because, you know, with, through Dallas helping Jake and then Jake helping countless people of yeah. his example. Same thing with with Razor or Scott Hall. Yeah. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And, and we just, you know, it's like that. It's like throwing a pebble in the water, that 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 reverberation yeah. of, you know, helping other people. The, it, it's just incredible. So. I, I see a lot more guys that want to help each other and are there for each other. So it is a different feeling now. Um, I have no like animosity or bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness against anybody. Right. And that's what helped me get on in life. Because when we live with those, it's like you lock yourself in an emotional prison. But but the good news is that when I tell people that, that have this bitterness, this resentment, who have locked themselves in an emotional prison, here's the good news you have the key and that key it's called forgiveness and and like i said before most time the hardest person to forgive is ourselves yeah absolutely so today forgive yourself yeah and i would assume stone cold forgave you immediately after breaking his lip open because <laughs> that was the night he coined austin 316 and stone yeah. cold said so so it might have been the best thing that ever happened to him when he had to leave the ring and he was talking to the free bird and he was like what did jake say he said he mentioned john 316 and then stone cold brilliantly became stone cold steve yes. austin the one yeah, we know that, and love i became uh you know uh, austin 316 but you know uh i, I gotta tell you that a real quick story about steve was that um, when when I was traveling, I was with Steve in WCW and WWE, so we were together for many, many years. Right. Wrestled each other many, many times. I think he's one of the guys I probably wrestled the most. And I, I got to tell you, the thing about Steve, and I, I'll tell you why he became so successful. Steve was always watching the matches. Like, he would be up at the curtain, peeking through, watching all the matches. So when you wrestled him, he knew all your moves. He knew how to put together a story. Right. He was absolutely phenomenal at what he did. And at that time, I never thought nothing of it. It's like, oh, gosh, he watches these matches all night long. How boring is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I, I, I commend him, you know. And if yeah. I ever, when I ever, when I do see him again, of course, I'll, I'll share that personally with him. But it's something yeah. I always remember now is how brilliant he is. Yeah. What was the worst injury? Any 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 injury that stands out? Because I know you guys are injured every single day that you wrestle, so it may be they all mixed together. I, I, 
I've had some bad ones. I blew out my knee in an intercontinental match against Goldust and uh, and um, Triple H. Oh, in the nice. Um, but I, the one that hurt the most, okay, I was wrestling uh, DDP. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a move where um, I threw him out, outside the rope and I came over the top rope on him. But when I landed, I landed on his knees on the on the cement, on the floor. Oh. And I tore my my, my, my my ribs completely separated, tore the cartilage wide open, okay? <laughs> it's actually more painful than breaking your ribs, okay? And the finish of the match was I would give him a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, okay? Oh, my God. So I go, and at that time, I didn't know what I did. I just said to Dallas, I go, Dallas, I broke my ribs. I knew that's not because the pain was so bad. I could hardly breathe, you know? Yeah. So can you finish? And I said, let's finish. So his his in his mind, he's thinking he's going to do the tilt the world backbreaker. But in my mind, I'm thinking, Dale's is a big guy. He's like 6'5", 270 pounds at the time, you know? Yeah. And so sure enough, he goes to throw me off. I reverse it. And as he's coming at me, I have to give him a tilt the world backbreaker. And I swear to this day, Dallas spun himself in midair somehow, some way later. Because <laughs> I couldn't even move. And oh basically, uh, I fell on top of him and pinned him and won the match. But uh, uh, one of the most painful injuries I ever had was that 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 particular injury. I've had 14 surgeries. Jeez. You know, total reconstruction. My knees, my shoulders, my elbows. It's just been incredible. Yeah. The medical miracle I am right now. Well, that's a great analogy for everything that's happening right now. Uh, you got to finish the match. And, uh, well, thank you so much for always finishing the match. And thank you so much for what you're doing right now. You're touching lives, helping kids um, who are going to hopefully take what you're telling them and, and bring it into adulthood and so we can change this whole thing, uh, what's going on right now with our, uh, with our culture and the toxicity of our culture. Uh, we need more people like you. Mr. Mark Marrow, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy 4th of July, and uh, I hope, yeah, I just hope you the best, and uh, maybe we can talk again in the future. I would absolutely love that. And just remember this, Ben, that the darker it gets, the brighter we have to shine. Never give up. Thank you. Mark Marrow, everyone, what a powerful story. And uh, he said he, he shared some things he hadn't shared with anybody else before, so we got... Uh, a little bit uh, of insight that was very unique to us and I hope it helped you out and made you feel a little bit better um, here as we celebrate this July 4th weekend. Um, All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you. Hail yourselves and we'll talk to you soon. Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.